Welcome to the CEC Report. It's the 12th of July. I'm Robert Bowick. I'm joined today by CEC leader Craig Isherwood. Welcome, Craig. Yeah, thanks, Robbie. In this week's CEC Report, if all of Australia were like Mandurah, would banks be failing and bailing in? And New Zealand, the bail-in capital of the world. Mm. So first, if all of Australia were like Mandurah, would banks be failing and bailing in? Craig, we're going to go through some developments now about the, the, the urgency that's building in the financial system, both in Australia and overseas, right? Um, the, one of the things we're going to talk about is bail-in. Now, because we run out of time always at the end yeah. of this show, let's, let's, let's tell people now what they can do to act on this in terms of getting information from us. Okay, Rob. Well, first of all, just for our new viewers, because we've got a lot of new viewers each week on the YouTube and on the Channel 44 where this is aired, Bail-in is the process where the banks and the government can steal your deposits. Basically, to prop up the failing banking system, they convert deposits into capital, you lose your deposits. It's happened in Cyprus before, and I remember, Robbie, six years ago when we were talking about bail-in, no one knew what it was. Yep. But we were taking on the Cyprus example back then where it actually happened, and this is an international financial policy through the central banking system. So we've been fighting this for six years, and we cover this great in great depth in our Australian Alert Service, which I encourage people to call in and get a free copy. But also, if you go onto our website, you'll be able to find on our website uh, our, our latest petition, which is Hands Off Our Bank Deposits, Stop Bail-In. And we're encouraging people to get copies of this petition, get signatures, and take it to the, or send the copy into us, but also take the petition and information to the local MP. That's, that, that last part is very important. We need you to get involved with us by taking our information to your elected representative and say, you've got to know this, you have to stop this. Now, we are working on getting an amendment moved in Parliament, Craig, to the yeah. bail-in law that was pushed through a year ago that will, ex that will um, exclude deposits from any action under that law. That's right. right. And politicians will pay attention to that amendment when it's moved if you've done the work as a constituent to harass them on it. And harass is the key word. That's a politic, that's a democratic right in yeah. politics. And when I say harass, I mean, you know, in terms of ideas and... and um, Make your will known to your member of parliament. But, they represent you. Exactly. Uh, so, now, one of the things that you can get in this week's alert service, though, is legal opinion that's brand new about the state of bail-in right now and the, and the evidence that that this is um, imminent. Something could be imminent in the way the banks are behaving. The legal opinions in this, call in and get a copy of that if you haven't already got one, all right? And make sure you get that legal opinion. And in fact, anyone can call in and get a copy of the legal opinion, email to them or mail to them to send to their member of parliament. That's very important, yeah. right? So here's the reason. There's, there's a few reasons this is... There's, there's numerous signs of urgency, Craig. One of them is domestically what's happened in the Australian economy. One of them is internationally what's happening in the Australian economy, um, and we're going to talk about Deutsche Bank in a minute. But another one is not an economic sign, is no, it? It's, it's the war danger in the Middle East, Robbie. We've seen you know, a ramping up of the, uh, the, the, the actions against Iran by Trump and the British. You've seen these, uh, you know, the British stopped an oil tanker, uh, an Iranian oil tanker on its way to uh, Syria on behalf of the US. And of course, and you've seen the retaliation of the Iranians stopping a British tank, or we, we well, don't know if it's sure alleged, retaliation, alleged Iranian. retaliation happening. So uh, this is very, very dangerous, Robbie, because this is this is uh, escalating, you know, rather quickly into the potential of another war in that area. And one thing people need to understand is that the neocons we talk about politically in America and England who push this kind of permanent war agenda, 
there's a real overlap between those neocons and the Wall Street City of London financial apparatus. And in yeah. fact, it's their financial empire that they're trying to preserve, right? Yeah. And that's why there is, there is always this connection between the, the dangers in the economic system and the danger of war, because if a big bank like Deutsche Bank goes under, as you know, people will, will be saying in, in the US and, 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 and um, UK regimes, let's start a bloody war, mm. right? That's the kind of mentality we're dealing with here. We have to, we have to stop that. Anyway, let's, let's talk about Australia, though, because we've got, a, we've got some footage we want, we want to play people. Um, there's a real crisis brewing here, Craig, in the banks in Australia and New Zealand, and I'm going to talk about New Zealand more later. In Australia and in New Zealand, it's, it's the implications of the collapse in the real estate market, right? Because our banks are the high, heavy, have the heaviest exposure to real estate of any banks in the world. The front line of the collapse in Australia is Western Australia. And when we had our seminar, Craig and I were, were recently in Western Australia for the CEC seminar there, we invited the economist John Adams to come and address our seminar. And John and I spent a few days going around um, Perth and south of Perth, Mandurah, looking at the state of real estate there. And what we saw in Mandurah was shocking. And so the other day I was on a show on John Adams and Martin North's channel in the interests of the people, IOTP, interests of the people. You can watch it on YouTube and everyone should watch it, especially to our Perth viewers and our Channel 31 viewers. Watch this program. Um, it's called The Economic Massacre of Mandurah. That's the title of the program. You can look that up on YouTube. It was... It was actually so striking. The local Mandurah paper has reported, the Mandurah um, Coastal Times. But I want you to watch this clip of the show where you can see the... the, the you'll see John Adams talking and, and setting the scene for it and then the, the footage we got of lots and lots of for sale signs. So um, the CEC uh, about a week and a half ago invited me to go to Perth um, and to pre present uh, about my economic Armageddon thesis to uh, their members and some of the people watching the show. So I did that. Uh, but while we had the opportunity to um, look around Perth, uh, given that the Perth market has almost fallen by 20%, I said, well, let's go a few days early and let's um, um, try to make a sort of show of it. Um, and uh, one of the uh, uh, places I was told consistently that I needed to go um, from a whole series of, of supporters over in the West was Mandra, um, which is about an hour's south of Perth. Um, so, uh, so, so basically, I got told um, it was a it was a, a, a city that had you know a huge boom, particularly with, coincided with the mining boom. Uh, and now that the mining boom has sort of uh, sort of faded, and uh, property prices in Perth have uh, fallen away, um, uh, this particular city has has really hit it hard. Um, uh, you know, so I think it's fair to say that you know property prices from the peak in, in Mandra has fallen about 30%. Rents have fallen 30%. Uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, Perth uh, residents uh, bought holiday homes down um, uh, in Mandra, which is on the water. Um, and so it's really gone through um, uh, a lot of turmoil. And so we went down, uh, Robbie and I and someone else uh, from the CC went down one morning for a few hours. Uh, and one of the, one of the things like that um, shocked us and it didn't take us long, was once we got into the first set of streets in Mandra, um, we just, I mean, there is just enormous amounts of for sale signs, for, for rent signs, for lease signs. Um, um, and, 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 you know, uh, you know, 
I mean, I, I think this I think this show is quite important because it gives us it will give people not just in Western Australia but people here on the East Coast a sign of when the housing market fully you know, blows out. You're going to see what is a mandra today right across the country, um, and it is not a pretty sight at all. Well, why don't we play the video of your first impressions, right? Because essentially, you can quite quickly see the high number of for sale and for lease signs, remarkable number, in a very short period. Let's watch that. Yep. Now, Craig, there's lots of areas in Australia where the, the property market's right down and people are grimly hanging on. But when you see that many for sale signs, they've stopped hanging on. They're trying to bail out, right? And man, if, if, if Mandurah was like the rest of... If the rest of Australia were like Mandurah, um, you would be have, seeing real trouble, I believe. And, and I also talked, saw the stalled developments north of Perth, um, suburbs like Allenbrook. This is, an, this is becoming urgent, Yes, right? Isn't it time to force the politicians to start looking at solutions now? Well, Robbie, they've got to be stopped being left-footed on this because they, you've got to act before a crisis for it to work, right? In the middle of a crisis, there's so much panic, it's very, very difficult to do. 
our solution is first of all bring in Glass-Steagall, separate out the legitimate and necessary commercial banking system from all the speculative investment banking and protect people's deposits. Then, but you can't just stop there. You've got to go to what we call national banking. Now we've developed legislation for a national bank and therefore you've got to use the national bank to create credit and actually spend that into the community. Into we need the, to restructure the economy away from the housing construction bubble. Yeah, and, but you've also got to take emergency actions, Robbie, because we yeah. can see the collapse of uh, residential mortgage values and also housing values. Therefore, there has to be adjustments. So we've written a debt moratorium bill on housing mortgages and farm mortgages because you've got to arrest this process. And you, then, then you've got to have a national bank actually to be able to pro, pro, uh, provide the credit. Now, the model for this is uh, what was done in the, um, uh, yeah. in the United States, the Homeowners Loan Corporation, right, of uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt. Now, he actually stepped in and you know, provided mortgages for over a million people at the time when you know, millions of people were going to become homeless. Because without that measure, what happens is if it all just goes to pear shape, the banks start foreclosing on mass, thousands of people get forced out of their homes. For a problem that, yeah, they, they, they might have been silly to borrow at these prices, but the banks preyed on them to do it. Yeah. And the banks cannot be allowed to get away with just a mass foreclosure campaign that emiserates people. So there's lots of solutions, Robbie, but it does, does require, again, the people on watching this show, you've got to get active and go and tell your politicians they've got to think in an opposite direction. And the first thing is the emergency protection uh, against the banking crash, which is stopping the bail-in yeah. legislation from being able to use, exclude, include deposits and... Um, Glass-Steagall, which we have legislation for in Parliament. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk, to you about, talk about the Deutsche Bank side of this. Welcome back to the CEC Report, where we're discussing if all of Australia were like Mandurah, would banks be failing and bailing in? Now, Craig, as we said, one of the urgent um, threats to the system is Deutsche Bank, right? And it's a threat to the global system. It's long been predicted this could be the next Lehman Brothers. It can't solve its problems. And its, it's share price is hovering above this Euro $5.70 level that's been predicted. If it gets there, all bets are off, and this could trigger a global um, meltdown. And the problem for Deutsche Bank is its derivatives, right? They, now, they created a bad bank a few weeks ago to move about 50, tr 50 billion euros of derivatives into, mm. yet they've got over 40 trillion euros of derivatives, right? So it's barely touching the sides. Um, this week, their latest thing was they've laid off, they've announced they're getting out of the equities business, which is the speculation business. They're laying off 18,000 workers, including the, the Australian branch of Deutsche Bank, 50 workers there. That's where Josh Frydenberg and Jane Hume used to work, right? Pity they didn't lay them off earlier. They, they might not be in Parliament now. Anyway, I want to give people an insight, though, into what might be in Deutsche Bank's derivatives that's causing them so much problems. One of the things with derivatives, they can be used for fraud, yeah. right? And... The, to, to make sure that it goes undetected, you have these toxic derivatives sit on your books for years and years and years. And that's what might be happening with Deutsche Bank, given that it took over the world's worst derivatives traders like Bank Bankers Trust as it was becoming this, this um, big monstrosity. So just watch a segment that we did, you and I did, in 2014 on this show, the CEC Report, where I discussed the toxic culture of derivatives and how they can be used for fraud. There was, a, there was a man working for Morgan's Bankers Trust and then Morgan Stanley on Wall Street, and his name was Frank Partnoy. And within a few years, he quit because he thought, if I continue working in this derivative, he was a derivative salesman, he said, if I continue working in this, I'm going to end up in jail. So he quit, and he wrote some very important um, books to expose the heart of this, right? Mm. He describes how the trading environment was a vicious, primal trading culture, and that was encouraged. 
the, these Wall Street banks, Craig, would recruit ex-military guys onto their trading floor to give their traders a killer instinct. Right? He quotes the CEO of Morgan Stanley. Now, Morgan Stanley was Australia's bank on Wall Street, by the way. Our, the, the investment bank Australia went to to get money from the government. John Mack, the CEO, ordered in 1994 when there was a big derivatives losses and it was Morgan Stanley's own clients making those losses on products Morgan Stanley had sold them. John Mack said, we can make more money out of these suckers and his, his expression was, there's blood in the water, let's go kill someone. The standard jargon derivatives traders used when they would make a huge commission selling a product to a client that lost them money was, I've ripped his face off. Right? This, was the, this was the attitude, and of course the, the poor sucker clients don't know this. These, Partnoy records how the derivatives were structured to allow banks to get around government regulations. And I want to, give, I want to read this quote from him, because regulations are designed to protect essential parts of the economy. Right? Here's his quote. In early 1994, Mexico was hot. The US had recently passed NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement, and bankers were racing south to Mexico City. Latin American derivatives were the fastest growing portion of the derivatives market. Every major American bank wanted to skim some of the anticipated flow of money between Mexico and the US. At the time, many US bankers regarded the Mexican banks as cash piñatas and were eager to smash them open. <laughs> right? Now, those Mexican banks were government-owned banks, right? And what was interesting about that, of course, is that's the same time that our Commonwealth Bank is being privatised. They smashed open our Commonwealth Bank to extract its profits. Profits that used to be part of the public good, you know, go to them. Same thing. Um, Partnoy records this growth rate that we've talked about in derivatives. Partnoy records, Craig, that the only thing that made that possible is um, the, 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 the deals these derivatives salesmen sold, they sold to fund managers. So they sold to the people who managed pension funds, super funds, insurance funds, municipal funds. These fund managers, they weren't betting their own money. They're betting other the people's, people's money. money yeah. right? They're betting your money, the, the, the viewer of this program. And then Partnoy records, this is the most important bit, that these derivatives were structured to hide losses. And we've talked about this recently on the CEC report, but it gives the example of a bucket of gold where if, buck, if half the bucket of gold is fool's gold, Half is real gold. Totally, it's worth $100, but the fool's gold's worth only um, uh, 10 The real gold is worth 90 But if you average them out, and you can sell, you can say they're worth $50 each, and then sell the part, that, the real that, that's, that you say is worth 50 but sell it for 90 what it's really worth, you can claim a profit of $40, which you'll get away with if you don't sell the, the other half. half. Yeah, that's right? the trick. And we'll, we can put a thing on the screen for that. Um, they structured derivatives to put crap assets with good assets and do that kind of thing and hide losses in a big way. So slow that clip down to the viewers and, and look at the, the pot of gold graphic carefully because this is this was what Frank Partner explained how these things can be used and this is the sort of thing that could be sitting there as toxic on Deutsche Bank's books. Yeah. If we're right, this bank could be days or weeks from setting off <coughs> excuse me, a global crisis. In, which would also affect Australian and New Zealand banks, which have lots of derivatives and are hiding them. Right now, we did a we did a, an almanac on our in our alert service on this. Why are our banks hiding derivatives? Which you can get a copy of, and it's on the it's on the website as well. Let's take a quick break.
Welcome back to the CEC report. Finally, New Zealand, the bail-in capital of the world. Now, we've put out a press release this week. Why is New Zealand suddenly guaranteeing deposits? The New Zealand Reserve Bank is getting very antsy about the state of their financial system, Craig. They're demanding higher capital. And the, the governor of the bank said he is anticipating a once-in-200-year event. So I interviewed Joe Wilkes on, on, for our show, and I want, you to, I want to play a clip this. You can watch the whole interview on YouTube. He's a British real estate agent who lives in New Zealand now, and he, saw, he sees what's happening in New Zealand as what the UK was like before the crash. Have a look at my discussion with Joe. What's the saying? In the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, so these are things that when you look at it, you're, you, you have to think, well, um, these are risks that are not just in the property market. They're risks for the banking system. And is that what you think the Reserve Bank and the, and the authorities are thinking about when they're suddenly saying we need to put a deposit that guarantee on? What would their concern be um, with the deposit guarantee? Well, I think for, from a, I guess, a household perspective, um, there is a there is a, a risk. We have got bail-in legislation in New Zealand. Uh, very few people in New Zealand are aware that we have bail-in legislation, um, but it was passed again by the previous key administration uh, back in 2016. Not so much fanfare. Um, and if you go into any bank, and, and we've tested this, we've gone in, we've walked into banks, we've spoken to people who are taking deposits from customers and asking them if they know what bail-in is. The bank staff don't have a clue. I went into six banks not very long ago for for DFA um, and uh, of those banks, uh, the only bit that anybody was able to find out for me about bail-in, and they were all asking the other members of the teams, was when someone Googled uh, what is bail-in and came up with a digital finance analytics post about it. So (laughs) (laughs) banks don't know, um, but what the big risks for for New Zealand are that because we are so dependent on four Australian banks for 85%, they hold 85% of the mortgage debt in in this country. Um, They hold a similar amount of the the deposit uh, debt. You've got a very cloudy bail-in issue, but without higher regulatory capital requirements, and the banks at the moment, they are holding capital beyond the Baal III doctrine. But there is a risk that if something like Westpac with their big interest only loan book and a falling housing market in many places in Australia, if Westpac say, oh, right, we could do with some more capital, it would be very easy to skip over the ditch, help yourself to the excess capital beyond the requirement levels of the New Zealand subsidiary and fund and recapitalise the Australian arm. And they so have a New Zealand perspective. Just clarify, they're allowed to do that under New Zealand law, right? The, the parent bank in Australia can come and grab and leave what just eight and a half percent capital something like that currently um and, and we the, the the challenge is every every you know, people talk about them as being separate legal entities but where do the profits go every year they they, they yeah. disappear back over the ditch and, and yes there are new zealand bank shareholders and there are pension firms in new zealand that own shares in the banks but um, the the profits are largely finding their way back to the australian parents so it is a risk and as a result because of the the lending practices that you've seen in Australia that I, I know you ex- exposed with Philip Seuss, um, those practices, they haven't been the same in New Zealand, but there's lots of similarities. Yeah. And therefore, we need to factor in. And, and I, I support the, the need for higher capital. I, I, I pr- provided a submission to the Reserve Bank 
um, when they were asking for, for submissions on, on feedback on, on do we need higher capital in the banking sector. Now, I was one of 64 submissions. Um, so we've got a, a population that aren't really that aware of, of, of this because we have got a media that neglect business information and business news. Yeah, Robbie, Australian, uh, New Zealand needs Glass-Steagall as well. Not for sure. Well, look, we're out of time as usual, yeah. Craig. Watch these full clips on the CEC's YouTube channel, right? But otherwise, thanks for tuning in. Tune in next week for more of the CEC report.